and welcome to the More to Life podcast. I am your host, Elle Mace, and today I am joined by Steph. I'm going to call her Steph Sleepyhead because that's how I all have always referred to her now. And it's just an automatic thing, but also I have no idea how to pronounce your surname. I saw it the other day and I was like, um, she's going to just stay as Steph Sleepyhead. Um, so Steph, you are a sleep physiologist. Yes. And also many, many, many other things, which I've tried to um, put into one sentence, but I'm actually just going to pass it over to you so you can explain exactly everything that you do. OK, thank you so much for having me. Um, no one ever gets the surname right. It's Romashevsky. And often when I'm on the uh, radio or the TV, they'll do something crazy with it, even when they've learned it 10 times over. So do not worry. Um, uh, so what is it? What is it that I do? So I'm a sleep physiologist. It's true. So I diagnose and treat sleep disorders predominantly. And I have sort of got a real focus in insomnia at the moment and quite complex types of insomnia. I have an NHS uh, uh, clinic, so I run a sleep disorders clinic for the staff. So I work at the Occupational Health and Wellbeing Department at the Royal Devon and Exeter, um, which is really, really awesome. I absolutely love the team. They are very forward thinking for occupational health in the NHS. We're very lucky down here. Um, And then I have Sleepyhead Clinic, which I built about 10 years ago which is a private sleep consultancy it's also where I do all my media and corporate work and then I also started a health tech uh, startup a few years ago which is like a hybrid model so it's called resleep and it's a hybrid model of insomnia treatment so you can go online and you can get what we do in clinic but you also get access to human beings and a way to make it sustainable in your life and hyper personalized um, and very much into like personal personalized medicine so yeah that's kind of all my all my hats yeah you're you're an entrepreneur basically (laughs) is what I came from this um amazing so right there's like we've kind of had a little conversation didn't we before where we were like there is so much to cover off about you because we've what we think it is like there's just so much to talk about every time we get together we're like blah 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 blah. Um, but we're going to stick with the podcast today in finding out a bit more about you your work and what it actually means how people who are listening to this could benefit etc a bit more detail about sleep and then we're actually going to get together and do another one which is going to be a bit more personal but we will leave that one for another day so just tell us then a bit about yourself in terms of like how you even got into this what did you what you know what did what did you do at school to get to this point uh wow that's a that's a that's going far far back um so I was not very academic at school which might sound a bit strange but it's true I find it very hard to believe yeah yeah I was I literally scraped by I had quite bad dyslexia but I didn't realize at the time it was never diagnosed at the time so I just thought I was very stupid essentially that's how I kind of grew up what I thought um I did go to university that was probably failing um I definitely was doing quite badly until I got diagnosed with dyslexia and then suddenly and I really didn't think I thought okay I've got dyslexia but what is a little bit more time and some of the other support you get gonna actually do but it really did it absolutely improved everything and so thank goodness I got my degree in psychology um I knew I wanted to do something with people's brains. I probably should have gone into neuroscience, but again, I wasn't quite thinking I was up to this, the task of that. And then I did one of those funny placement years you could do back then. I don't know if you can still do this, um, where Harvard Medical School had a link with Surrey University, and they used to take four biochem and 
two psychology students over to the sleep division at Harvard Medical School in Boston. Um, I think the connection was that a student at Surrey was now a professor at Harvard, something like that. Um, and they would take us over and we were allowed to work there for 14 months uh, in between our, uh, our years at uni. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I don't know how, because everyone that went with me was super academic. Um, I think it was something to do with the interview. I can't, I do not now know how I answered that interview, but somehow I got in um, and I got introduced to this amazing world of sleep research and we were doing all those crazy blue light studies at the time which now have dictated how we use light um, and how good it is for sleep and your wake cycles we were doing stuff with NASA where we were trying to put um, people on a 25 hour day because Mars is a 25 hour day so we were trying to kind of see how they would cope with an ever moving day, which is actually quite impossible. So I learned so much about sleep and about the timing of things and your circadian rhythms and chronobiology. And it was fascinating. Um, and I came back and I was like, what? I, I haven't I haven't done anything really in psychology. I mean, there was a lot of psychology in what we were doing um, and this, the, the, the research we were doing and taking care of the subjects and keeping them awake, um, you oh, know. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, there was, it, it, it felt a bit like that sometimes. Um, it was amazing. Uh, but I came back and I was like, what am I? I didn't really go and get psychology experience. I can't really go and do my doctorate or the plans I had. And my tutor at the time was like, you basically are a sleep specialist, a sleep physiologist, a technician. Um, and you just, you had Harvard training. You didn't have to go and do the separate degree. And so I kind of got into sleep physiology, like through the back door. I got a very quickly um, at Guys and St. Thomas's in London, who literally snapped me up and were amazing. They taught me everything I know about sleep disorders. I had the best bosses, the best people, like from going from Harvard, where you had the best people in sleep medicine uh, looking after you to having the best people in the UK the biggest one of the biggest sleep centers learning all about the sleep disorders so then I sort of jumped there I mean there's so much more I, I don't even know where you want me to go with it but yeah that's, that's where I started you getting that opportunity to go to Harvard I mean how many people went for that position I don't I have no idea I can't remember I just am quite surprised and even as because I was quite shy and I was very unassuming like I really didn't think that I had that kind of you know the confidence let alone anything else to be able to give them something you know to to work there um but I don't know they must have thought something because uh I went and I thought it was amazing and I I loved it I loved all the work you really had to work under pressure it wasn't actually suited to say somebody who was very very academic it was suited to more of an opportunist who had yeah. to figure out quite quickly under research settings how you do stuff and they were strict like three strikes and you were out you know they weren't mucking about you do it properly if you can't then you really have to explain yourself even to the point of like writing a file name wrong it was strict oh. but it was amazing like I loved it and the things I learned the people I got to speak to the research I was exposed to um yeah fascinating I'm honestly mm. I just didn't even know that field existed until I went and started learning about it and even just location well location wise what a fantastic <laughs> opportunity but the title Harvard like, <laughs> oh what I'd give to put that on my put that on my CV oh yeah I guess 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did. I did. But I don't know where it is now. Um, we And we did get the chance that so we were working for them, but we also studied with them, which was pretty cool. So we did a few chronobiology uh, modules. Um, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, I I always get wary of saying it because I didn't. It's not like I went to Harvard University as a student. So it's kind of different to me. It's just part of my part of my journey, I guess. Yeah, brilliant. And then you came back and then you went to St. Thomas's. And then from there, is that then when you set up your own clinic? Well, so first of all, I was exposed to sleep disorder clinics. And what I understood them to be was we were dealing with some most of common uh, sleep disorders. So things like sleep apnea. And then we were dealing with very complex and very rare sleep disorders like narcolepsy. But what I found fascinating when I was doing all these studies and, you know, um, you know, diagnosing people and treating people is that people would come in and they would say, look, I know I'm here for my sleep apnea or my narcolepsy, but I just want to know why I struggle to get to sleep. Or I just want to know why I wake up sometimes in the middle of the night and I can't get back to sleep. Mm-hmm. The most common issues we couldn't seem to answer and basic sleep hygiene I already knew and that's the things that you can find on the internet you know like the 10 top tips to sleep well these weren't fixing chronic sleep problems and I understood that and so I went off and did a master's in behavioral sleep medicine because I wanted to understand well what else could we offer these people we're effectively talking about insomnia here and it seems to affect 10% of the population why aren't we really treating it in NHS sleep centers and we weren't and so I went off learned about the treatment for insomnia and why it happens was so fascinated and couldn't believe that it wasn't something that we all know as easy as we know about dieting and exercise we didn't know how to look after our sleep so after that I actually moved down to Devon because after being in Boston I am from London originally and I um I don't know I just wanted a different change of scene um Uh, you know London was kind of to me it was slightly unfriendly at the time it was really hard like even with a good job like mine you had to earn a lot of money to live in the center of London and you know enjoy it while you're working your 14 hour days and doing your crazy night shifts and I just I don't know I don't know what happened but Boston was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because it helped me to realize I didn't have to be in London in order to make things work and so I came down to Devon all my consultants and the people around me were like you're making a a mistake like you will never be able to get a career down there I took a massive demotion to work at the Royal Devon um, and started off in a very limited sleep service um, but a really lovely one um, and learned so much but also had the chance now to innovate because the workload was less um, you know we were doing less and so I was like okay I'll do my master's I then um, gave the uh, NHS a a kind of like a business plan to start doing an insomnia clinic, but it wasn't taken up quickly at the RD&E, but London were doing exactly the same thing back where I used to work. And so I would spend my time halfway between London and Devon just setting up this clinic and building what does insomnia treatment look like on 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 the NHS. They took it on and they've been running with it ever since, asked me to go back. I was like, no, 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 I love Devon. I love being here, love being out in the countryside, love having time to think, still would travel loads because it's still very accessible. Um, and then I, uh, the RDNE turned around and essentially said, we just don't have the money to do this right now. Sleeping pills are a lot cheaper, except they don't work. So that I was very frustrated. And so I did a new business plan and I said, okay, let me go away for a day day a week and do it myself and nobody battered an eyelid because they thought 
a lot of people said to me, there's no way you're going to make sleep medicine work outside of the NHS. Um, and I was like, okay. And I did it anyway. And it wasn't because I wanted to be an entrepreneur or I thought, I, I don't know. I, I felt like I didn't have that in me at the time, but I guess I did. Um, it was more because there was an unmet need and I wanted to, people to have somewhere to go. It is super lonely and incredibly isolating having an invisible condition that is not really talked about or normalized even when you go to the GP. And so even from the people that should be supporting you, you don't get what you need. It's a really horrible place to be. And I couldn't believe it. I was literally sort of, I, I just couldn't believe that something in my eyes that was so simple was not something we were offering. Anyway, fast forward 10 years, that worked out really well. Um, I started getting a lot of corporate gigs. I was asked to be on a Channel 4 TV series, which was very bizarre because I was thinking, I'm not an expert yet. Like I'm still learning about insomnia and the treatment. And But I went on, um, it was really interesting. Uh, also got heavily into trying to work out how to use the tools that I had to fix insomnia to actually help people with other types of sleep problems, uh, which was really cool. Um, and then from there, I built that up, quit the NHS, but was asked to very quickly come back because as sleep has become more popular and more sort of something that we are now thinking about, they started to realize the value. And so we did start running services and things. Um, but I was I was busy at Sleepyhead doing my thing. And then I still had this unmet need. I was thinking, this is great, but it's expensive. And it requires me to, my time all the time to help these people. There were online programs around at the time, but people kept coming to see me after they had been on these insomnia programs, having not fixed their sleep problem. Yeah. And so I started to realize that actually it was hard. So retraining your brain to sleep is a lot like, um, trying to lose weight, for example, or build muscle or quit drinking or quit smoking. It's something that isn't just about learning the knowledge. It's figuring out how you're going to adapt the knowledge into the life that you live in, having enough compassion for yourself and kindness that you're not going to be at one end of the spectrum or the other all the time. You can't be super perfect about it. It's not going to work, but you do need a, a level of consistency. There were so many things I started to draw on that I was like, this is why this isn't working for people. They need support. They need other ways to get through. It's not just about the gold standard. How can we adapt the gold standard treatment so that that person with all the other chronic conditions who's got quite complex insomnia can make it work for them? And so I really heavily delved into this, did a lot of patient work. Um, so, I mean, we worked out five, six years ago that I'd seen over 10,000 patients at this point. Um, and then I found my um, partners. So uh, my partners who then uh, founded Resleep with me, which was this digital online hybrid model of what I was doing. And suddenly we were able to help hundreds and hundreds of people. And it was amazing because I got access to all these people that needed support. And actually that's way different from being in a session with one person. And you, I started to learn so much more about how we could do things differently. And so that is what I, that's what, that's kind of how I am here today. Yeah, amazing. That sounds fascinating. And as you were just talking then, I was like, God, there's so many similarities there to, to what happens with me, with the eating disorders or disordered eating. You know, mm -hmm. people will come and say, I've just done this diet, a plan. I've done this plan. Yeah. It's not working. Or I've done this plan or this plan. And actually it's still there because it's just a whole other part of the brain. Like you say, there's so many other aspects to it. So yeah, I can imagine it's, um, 
And also with the online um, programs that people are going, that they are doing, they're having to do it all completely on their own, aren't they? So then they need having you there as that sort of accountability and extra bit of support is essential. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there has to be a human element to it always. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not even just that. It's about the content, like just giving someone the gold standard like it would be in a textbook, which is often what a lot of other programs do it's very scary. Like they've already felt super isolated and lonely because of the condition. They don't have to feel like that while they're going through treatment. So we are more like Alcoholics Anonymous or something like that, where we're super inclusive and people support each other um, and everyone's in it together. I feel like they're my family and that we're just working through it together. And sometimes there's going to be good days and sometimes there's going to be bad days. I stay very closely to what we're doing, even though we are scaling. I do want other sleep experts to be involved and we're in the, we're in the, we're sort of fundraising at the moment and also in the midst of like training other people up uh, because it's important that this isn't just about me. It has to be something that is repeatable. Like we can, we can do this for many people. Um, But I definitely think that we need to start thinking more about personalized medicine and understanding what people need when they go through um, some kind of behavioral work, which is not going to be an overnight fix. So just like weight loss, just like muscle gain, it is not an overnight fix. And so we are also battling against a lot of sleep hacks and uh, products out there, which it's sad because people think there's a chance of them working or because we live in this reactive society that says you've got to get a result tomorrow. And if you don't, then it's clearly not working and you should move on. And our lack of consistency never makes us reach our goals. So I, I think sometimes I'm a bit of a behaviorist because I'm more trying to help that person get through what they need to get through to reach their goals rather than just a sleep specialist it just so happens that that's where I came from Mm, yeah okay so on the whole sleep piece then Mm. what is the what do you say 10% of of the population have a sleep disorder what is the top couple of disorders that people are maybe struggling with oh it's actually so if we it's about a third of the global population a whole third that at some point in their lives are going to have some sort of sleep problem okay and that would be that's quite normal like you you can't have straightforward so many hours of sleep every single night it's just not going to happen there's too much in life Your, your sleep isn't designed to be this kind of strict pedantic thing that doesn't change it's a very fluid process that realigns with the new normal all the time so sometimes it doesn't look right However, there are actual sleep disorders. And when you start getting a chronic sleep problem, one of the main ones is called insomnia. And even if a lot of people don't really resonate with that word, and they might say, you know, I don't struggle to get to sleep, but I actually really struggle in the middle of the night to stop it being so broken and I can't stay asleep. Or actually, I really struggle to get to sleep, but once I'm asleep, I'm fine. So it's just, you know, I can't get to sleep quickly. Actually, all of these things and a mixture of these things, and sometimes it doesn't even look like that. And it really is insomnia, especially if it's affecting you more than say four times a week and it's affected you for three months or longer that's when we would call that a long-term or a chronic insomnia um so you know it's normal to have a short-term insomnia because you know your hormones are changing or you go through some illness or medication or a life change there are so many things that are going to affect you that's totally fine and it is our lack of education which frightens us Mm. around oh my god my sleep is suddenly bad then it causes us to make decisions around our sleep, which usually make it worse Mm. because we move away from our normal routines. 
And then suddenly we've perpetuated this very uh, sort of long-term insomnia problem. It's ingrained now, it's in the brain. So I would say insomnia is your most common sleep problem. We're all going to go through it at some point or another, but when it becomes chronic, that's the issue. That's what 10% of the population are suffering with. Um, and it's really sad. That's a huge number. That's a global population. It's not just in our society. It's all over the place. Yeah, it's very much like I'm guessing people can kind of almost manifest it even more into existence. Because once you start thinking about yeah. it and then overthinking about it and then, you know, because I, I will, we will, we've all had those nights where you literally can't sleep. And the more you go over the fact that you're not sleeping. You're not sleeping. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's awful. Absolutely. And I can honestly say. And I know I've got like a, I don't know how long I've been doing this now, maybe 17 year head start. But I can honestly say in all of that time, because of what I understand about sleep, I have never been up in the night worrying that because I'm not sleeping, I'm not going to be able to cope or something bad is going to happen to me. Because I know that if I start, like you say, manifesting that, then I am going to make it worse. So it is not that I'm the perfect sleeper. And I know a lot about sleep. I cannot possibly be the perfect sleeper, because it's impossible to sleep well all the time. But one thing I will never do is fear sleeplessness, because I know it's completely impossible for your body to stop sleeping. But this lack of education, and this over sort of simplifying what happens when you have sleep deprivation, for example, terrifies people, it's scaremongering. And people think that all that research that is being done on sleep deprivation is relating specifically to them, when the reality is they probably do not have chronic sleep deprivation insomnia isn't you actively restricting yourself from sleep that would be very different that is sleep deprivation so when you're actually so sleepy that your eyes are struggling to stay awake and you are actively pulling yourself back from it i've got to have 10 cups of coffee i'm going to hit the pro plus i'm going to keep myself awake if you did that every single night for sure you would end up getting very sick but it is my sort of in my reality what i see most of all is people who are struggling to sleep they then are so worried because of what they know about sleep. They start to get very anxious before they go to bed. They get sort of sleep anxiety. Um, what's yeah. going to happen to me if I don't sleep well? Um, how many hours before I have to get up? There's over, over fixation on so many things. Um, and that, as you say, it makes it worse. There are obviously other factors at play when it comes to insomnia. It's true. But that is one of the most common ones. And I have seen people, I have seen premiership footballers. I have seen um uh, you know, politicians, all sorts of types of people that you would have thought or I would have thought back then, they they can't possibly be, you know, they don't look like they get anxious in everyday life, but they could, it's crippling for them. It's absolutely crippling. And when they talk to you about it, they could be the most successful people in the world in any way that you deem success is. They could be the most zen-like Buddha, super relaxed, don't get stressed. And yet when there's a sleep problem, everybody reacts in this very mm. irrational way um which i find absolutely fascinating it is down to lack of education but it also shows that insomnia doesn't discriminate and we need to normalize it so that people understand it better so it's less likely to become this huge thing in their lives and it's horrible because nobody understands so you you talk to a friend and they might say oh i don't know what's wrong with you i just hit the pillow and i'm gone and that's like saying to somebody who suffers from depression why can't you just be happy mm -hmm. can you imagine you just wouldn't do that in this day and age but that's because we now have an education 
education around what depression is and what doesn't help and what does help. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with sleep. We've got to normalize sleep problems and we need to help people understand that actually in the first instance, it's quite normal. And the less you worry about it, the less likely yeah. it's going to become a problem. Yeah, definitely. So what would be the main few reasons other than what you've just said about the fact that they're just kind of like over worrying about it, giving it too much energy? What would be the main reasons for having a sleep disorder? So it's a bit of a process. So first of all, um, and and to be very clear, we're just talking about insomnia because there's hundreds of sleep disorders out there. So we'll talk about insomnia. But essentially, yes, something can trigger a sleep problem. And that can be anything. So there's just no point in worrying too much about controlling your environment and your life to the point where you're never going to get sleep problems, because the reality is you're going to get sleep problems. So it doesn't matter. But there's a difference between that trigger going away, or your body getting used to that trigger, whatever it is, stress, illness, hormone change, whatever it is, your body actually can realign to the new normal. And it might not look exactly the same, but it's still getting what it needs. But there's a few things that happen in that process. So the first thing is, people start to worry a lot about their sleep, they start to get anxious. Now, what happens when people get anxious, it's not just the vicious cycle that you describe, which obviously changes the chemicals in your brain when you're trying to get to sleep, which is definitely not going to help you get to sleep. So there's that. Um, But there's also the idea that I call it the anxiety gremlin. When the anxiety gremlin comes out to play, what it's going to do to you is it's going to tell you, you need to change your behavior. And so what you might do is you might move away from your normal sleep wake cycle. So let's give you some examples by lying in a lot by um going to bed early because you're desperately trying to seek back what you think you've lost changing your activities during the day like becoming more passive because you feel either you can't cope with half the stuff that you were going to do or you're worried about how those things are going to impact your nighttime sleep so things like reducing down exercise not seeing your friends in the evening suddenly you've moved far away from your normal sleep wake cycle and the way that you used to behave you've also become much more unhappy because you you're not doing any of the things that you love anymore and your brain almost doesn't recognize you and what you don't realize is is that you're actually reinforcing the bad sleep because you're telling your brain don't worry i've got this covered i will i will cope by changing everything about my life and your brain then thinks okay fine i'm going to stay the same because clearly this pattern works for you and your brain really does see it as a pattern And then lastly, one of the big things is hypersensitivity. So once you get broken sleep more often than you don't, what starts to happen is your sensitivity to your environment is increased. So you know how some people really find it hard to go to sleep with a ticking clock or, you know, they just really cannot sleep if their partner's snoring. I mean, there's a difference between a really heavy snore, but if someone's just lightly snoring and you're really struggling to get to sleep, you know, there's so many things but you become hypersensitive to them because ironically, that's the original trigger, but then you are getting broken sleep. So your sleep is weaker. You're going to be weaker as a consequence. The environment is going to be more arousing essentially for you. So what happens is any noise, any light, anything that's going on is going to be harder to adapt to. And so suddenly you're like this sensitive broken sleeper and it's perpetuated because the more of the broken sleep you have, the more hypersensitive you become to your surrounding, the more hypersensitive you come, the more broken sleep you get. So there's these these things happening and and people don't realize that if they understood how sleep works, the fact that it's a drive state, the fact that your behavior has to actually stay fairly consistent and it's not probably the behaviors that you think, 
then we can start doing something about it. But in general, people, we are essentially doing it to ourselves. That's not to blame the person, because actually, I know that if I hadn't studied this much about sleep, you know, I suffer from anxiety in other areas, 100% I would have insomnia if I didn't understand how to manage that kind of thing. Um, But the reality is we don't have it. So you know, without the right tools, you have this interesting new sleep field that's come out and all these sleep hacks, you go to your doctor and they tell you to do these 20 million sleep hygiene methods. And then you go away and you try to become a Zen like Buddha by relaxing all the time. And you're trying to focus on your stress. And the problem is, it's too late. You know, you this problem is ingrained. It's a pattern. It's, it's, it's a new rewiring of your brain. So none of that stuff is going to make any difference. But the more it doesn't make a difference, the more it makes you feel like there's inherently something wrong with you. So not only do you have a sleep problem now, but we're going into mental health. We're worried about who we are and our our personalities change and we become more inhibited and um, lonely and isolated, like I said before. And all these things are only going to contribute more to what's going on. So something's got to give with this has got to change um yeah. but it's going to take us a, a, few, a fair while because sleep medicine was never really seen as a medicine until probably about 50 to 100 years ago we do not have that much research we still don't know that much about sleep whereas all the other areas of medicine have been going for a far longer time we've been you know trialing and erroring for a much longer time yeah. um it makes sense that we're only at the beginning of this and just like for example the food industry there's a lot of noise out there and it is hard to know what to follow so it's very similar to what you do and trying to iron out what people believe about their eating for example and yeah. what is the real truth yeah oh gosh it's the minefield and it's frustrating so you're saying there, like kind of the, a big one of the mistakes is people just changing too much. But then yeah. you also said, you know, something's got to give, which is right. So what would be the kind of like one to the first couple of steps to actually trying to do something about it? So it might seem very strange and counterintuitive, but it, your sleep drive and you do have a drive state to sleep, which you build by being awake. Ironically, you start that in the morning. Right. So everyone focuses on what they're going to do before they go to bed to try to get the best night's sleep. When the reality is your drive to sleep starts from your morning time. So if you're getting up at different times of the day and you've got this drive state that wants to build itself in order to make you predictably sleepy at the right time, if you keep moving the goalpost in the morning, oh, I'm going to lie in at the weekends, I'm not feeling well, I slept really badly, I need to re- cope somehow, or you just don't want to get up, you keep snoozing, or maybe you're just shutting your eyes, your body's going to get very confused. It doesn't know that you want to be awake at this point. And so it's not going to start that drive properly. And so ironically, your sleepiness at night and your ability to take yourself through the whole night without waking up too much is all about what you did in the morning so the first thing I would say is start to set a get-up time that is the same almost all the time this is very specifically for people that are really wanting to improve their sleep rather than you know I, I really feel like, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. I really, I really feel that way. So if you're happy with your sleep, please don't feel like you need to do anything. But regulation is key. Your sleep is a circadian rhythm. All that means is it runs over a 24 hour cycle um, and it's regulated by time. So if you and your behavior are quite specific, I'm going to get up at this time, then you're going to notice that everything else falls into place. Now on the same subject as time, 
what two things that can really help you to cheat how you feel before you actually feel better, before you become that morning person, before it starts to have an effect on your nighttime sleep by building up that drive. What can you do that's going to cheat your body into feeling awake? Well, you can expose yourself to light. So most of us have nowhere near enough light in our houses in the morning. And yet we have so much light in the evening. Mm. And it's about turning those lights on. Light alarms and light boxes have become a thing. I actually really recommend them because we just don't get enough light. But even just changing up the light bulbs and making sure that in the morning you've got access to bright light. Of course, natural light is better, but even artificial is going to do something significant for you. And it's not just going to help with your sleep-wake cycle. It's going to actually help you to lift your mood as well, because your mood, your, your, your mood-regulating hormones, they're also on a 24-hour cycle. So the more you do in the morning that kind of anchors you, sets up your day at the same time every day, the more you're going to notice that your mood becomes more um regulated so it becomes more predictable your sleep wake cycle becomes more predictable and more consistent you'll also notice your appetite regulating hormones mm. they become more predictable so it's really interesting how sleep and your circadian rhythms are linked and how they and connected to these other things so literally if i could say to everyone in the world what is the one thing you could do it would be to get up and then get light exposure and go and move your body because exercising can help reduce fatigue significantly it's really important for the quality of your sleep but it can reduce fatigue so if you've had that bad night then those are the things I would get you to do I get that most people right now might be thinking oh my god I need my lie-in if I don't get my lie-in then I I'm just not going to be able to cope but let's flip it on its head why do you need that lie-in so much because your sleep is so dysregulated. Mm -hmm. What if I could turn you into a morning person and you naturally just woke up at the weekends ready to enjoy your weekend, not spend the day or the morning in bed? We've been taught it's a luxury by commercialism, right? But it's not. It's not. We Our bodies do not want to be lying in bed for significant periods of time. And I hate it when people say it's okay to just do that. Of course, if you're not feeling well or you just need a little break, fine. But for the majority of the time, when you're awake, you need to be up. You need to be awake. And then your brain is going to start to give you the right chemicals at the right time of day. So you're going to start naturally feeling awake, even if you've had not enough sleep. Um, and I learned this because we did a lot of studies at Harvard where we completely deprived people of sleep and then we exposed them to very bright light. Of course, we can't mitigate the effects of sleep deprivation. However, we can make you feel a hell of a lot better and light you can cope just by giving you light and a little bit of exercise. So those would be the initial hacks. And of course, there are so many other things you could do. But people want me to say, what am I going to do when I wake up in the night? And I'm like, why don't you focus on this thing that you've got complete control over? And I promise you, you might start to notice much more different um, sleep uh, quality just by doing this one thing. But because people want that reactive, yes, but you're not helping me understand what I can do to get back to sleep. And it's like, because there's nothing, there is nothing in this world that is going to get you back to sleep. The only time that that breathing technique or that relaxation exercise is helping you go back to sleep is when your sleep drive is good on that particular day. So it's all down to the sleep drive. Yeah. Wow. Gosh. Yeah. So much. <laughs> so interesting. And where there, you know, there's times in my life I can really resonate with this stuff. M m when I've had my my babies, when I've got a newborn baby, and I'm and you yeah. know you're up feeding and stuff. But every time that that happened and I was exhausted, I would do my exercise the next day, 
and it always helped me it always gave me more energy even if like when we have babies and when baby is waking us up at all different times of the night and we're gonna have to nap during the day which isn't sort of how as humans we usually operate even then having this set get up time even if you have to go back to bed even if you have to make compensations for now it will still help regulate you that's what people don't understand give your brain some sort of regulation it's the same with eating if we were better at eating at the same times every day which can be different for everybody but if we just would stop being so sporadic our appetite regulating hormones would start to become really, really predictable. And predictability is what you need when you want your sleep better to be better, when you're trying to lose weight, when you're trying to lift your mood, your behavior has got to be predictable. We've got to stop thinking that our bodies are this these mysterious creatures that we just react to. That is not how it works. Your brain is like a small puppy and every behavior you do, it is picking up and it is learning patterns. If you don't want it to do something, it's you that has got to change the pattern. Mm. The link between lack of sleep and eating disorders, disordered eating, whatever, weight loss, especially the impulse of the binge eating, you know, yes. the amount of clients that have binge eating disorder and their sleep is is not good. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, claiming to be exhausted all the time. They are literally, their bodies are just forcing them to eat to find some energy. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, isn't it? The link between sleep and everything else that's going on. <laughs> so one thing I did thought I wanted to ask you, actually, because you when you said, um, you know, insomnia is probably the biggest issue, but there's so many sleep disorders. It reminded me of those teleprograms that used to be on where people were doing all sorts of crazy things in their sleep. So what is like the most like craziest thing that you have seen happen in someone's sleep? Um, oh, it's a great question. So there are so many things I've seen. So obviously, I started my career by watching people sleep, but we weren't really watching people sleep. I think people have that wrong. And when they did those TV programs, it was kind of sad because we saw a drop in referrals because people were nervous about coming in thinking they would be laughed at. That's definitely not what happens in a sleep lab. We're looking at your brain activity. So we put electrodes all over your head because we want to look at your brain activity whilst you're doing the unusual stuff so that we can understand, is this person asleep? What stage of sleep are they in? What's happening here? Um, There's so many different types of things. I think the most unusual thing I've seen is somebody definitely being asleep, but definitely uh, doing sexual things. So sexomnia is definitely a a thing, Um, even to a dangerous degree. And there's people that have been acquitted from serious crimes because they have pleaded the fact that they've been asleep at the time. Um, But uh, yeah, so I've definitely seen some weird and wonderful things. just a lot of jumping up, a lot of talking, a lot of, uh, you know, you know, people can be very convincing and you might think they are awake, but they are not. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of things. We sort of um, label those things as things called parasomnias. All that means is unusual activity that happens whilst you're sleeping. Um, and a lot of things, uh, you know, a lot of actual paranormal theory came from the fact that we had these unusual things happen to us at night and actually a lot of it is just down to our genetics so for example um night terrors where you might wake up and think you've hallucinated a spider and then you're screaming Uh, children get them a lot it's completely normal it's all to do with their development and they will grow out of it it's more frightening for the parents really Um, and there's so many things that can happen you know like eating in your sleep that is I mean that is an interesting one it can happen when people are asleep but it can also happen when they're awake it is often due to restriction and not eating enough during the day but can end up causing sleep disorders so there I mean I don't even 
know what one story to give you. There's just been so many. Yeah, um, I can imagine. I think- I think the most interesting thing was when we had low budget at Guys and St Thomas's and the rooms weren't very soundproof. I do remember a time when one sleepwalker was talking and responding to another sleepwalker in another room, but they were both asleep. So very interesting how it can happen. Um, And one very funny story about Guys and St Thomas's back when they were in the old building, they were opposite Big Ben and every hour of the night, Big Ben would chime. Now, as you can imagine, if you're doing a sleep study, you need them not to have this environmental stimulus around them because it can also trigger problems. So you, Big Ben would go. And if you had someone who had some kind of parasomnia that you were investigating, that, that would trigger them to have the parasomnia, which I thought was amusing because obviously you don't really, you want them to have no, you want it to be as natural as possible so you can see what naturally happens to them. Uh, but it is fascinating. It's so fascinating. I've just remembered something, an ex-ex-ex boyfriend from a long time ago, he got up in the middle of the night and he went into the corner of my bedroom and I had a wooden floor and he just went to the toilet Oh yeah, that's a really and then he came one. back and I was like could hear it all over the wooden floor. And I was like, and he was he was he was completely asleep. Yeah. <laughs> and that often often with alcohol, that can definitely exacerbate. I'm sure. At the age yeah. of really <laughs> sure that was down to that. You want to hope, right? Because you yeah. don't want to be a normal thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it's very, very common when we've been drinking. So that's why a lot of the things we take, like alcohol, caffeine, other types of things that affect our sleep types of drugs they can really impact what happens in our sleep also genetically when your sleep is broken or you're going through a hard time so it's naturally breaking your sleep up a little bit um some people will notice that that will look like sleep paralysis or night terrors or sleepwalking it's not always the common insomnia broken sleep that they'll see um and just by re sort of regulating your sleep in the way that we described you know focusing on that get up time and and sort of re-anchoring yourself you will notice a difference but also caffeine and alcohol absolutely are going to make it worse and people need to understand that I mean I used to suffer from night terrors when I was much younger um and yeah caffeine and alcohol at university were definitely making things worse (laughs) yeah that's a tough one is oh yeah that that I mean lots and lots of people are now moving away from caffeine isn't it but it's hard when you're like oh I could just have (laughs) oh yeah well I don't think you don't have to not drink caffeine I think it's ridiculous to give people like those very struck like specific rules everybody can't drink caffeine everybody has to do this everybody has to get eight hours of sleep I mean that's nonsense there are genetically short sleepers long sleepers and everything Mm -hmm. in between even if you do get eight hours you're probably not going to get it every night because of the world that we live in and that's totally fine um but it's the same like with caffeine you know having a couple of coffees in the morning is not going to do anything it's just it does have a half-life genetically we are all slightly different in terms of our sensitivity to it and so you probably don't want to be having it sort of later on in the afternoon and some people maybe earlier on in the afternoon you want to stop so you know there's huge differences to how people consume caffeine there is no when it comes to sleep there's no horrific behavior that's going to be super bad all by itself which always makes me laugh when people follow sleep hygiene and they're like I do this pedantically and I'm like it's probably not going to make much difference to sleep because 
you know, unless you were drinking 50 cups of coffees before, then just reducing your coffee intake is probably not going to fix your sleep problem. It's just not how things work. It doesn't affect the drive and things like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think people need to kind of calm down about these things and stop being so ritualistic and OCD about it because that creates its own problems that perpetuates it all. And then you have crutches, which you think I've got to have no caffeine. Otherwise, the world's going to end and I won't be able to sleep. No, the reality is you can have caffeine and sometimes it's not going to affect your sleep. That's, yeah. that's true. Yeah, and I guess in recreational drugs is a whole other conversation of this. Yeah, but we do see a lot of people who um, use marijuana because they think it helps with insomnia. Same yeah. with alcohol. So the thing with marijuana and alcohol is that they can help you move into sleep. That's true. Yeah. They can use sedatory type state I suppose but the problem is is that when you're burning it up it's going to start um affecting your sleep so you might the same thing that made you fall asleep might actually stop you from getting a deep sleep it can really fragment it and break it up and then of course you end up having to take more and more as you become less and less sensitive to it so we have seen people become marijuana addicts and alcohol uh, alcoholics because of how they um you know were using it as a supplement to help with their insomnia which is really really sad yeah gosh yeah that is and I can see how I can see how that happens God, okay we yeah. could we could go on and on and on <laughs> um it's amazing it's fascinating I reckon so many people are gonna find this really really helpful so thank you so much for joining us and yes yeah, stay tuned for everyone else for our next episode together um but yeah, thank you very much. Where can everyone find you on social media? So I have a uh, account on Instagram. So it's at Steph Sleepyhead, as you yeah, well know. Um, but uh, in general, we're on Facebook, Sleepyhead Clinic. Um, there's a link tree on Instagram if you want to see all the other bits I'm doing. And then ReSleep has its own uh, Instagram account and you can go on re-sleep.com um, and that will show you what the program is all about. There is a screening tool so you can find out if it's right for you. Um, and we can support you. So yeah, to contact if you need anything. Amazing. Thank you so much, Steph. Welcome.